0: Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking with Dr. Steve Denley about his multimodal approach to managing intervertebral disc disease. Dr. Denley graduated from the University of Queensland with a Bachelor of Veterinary Science in 1998 and has been working in small animal practice in South East Queensland for the last 20 years. Whilst he thoroughly enjoyed conventional practice, he decided to undertake a Certificate of Veterinary Acupuncture from the Qi Institute to improve his skills and education. He is also certified as a Traditional Chinese Veterinary Herbologist, recognised by the China Society of Traditional Chinese Veterinary Medicine and the Qi Institute of Chinese Medicine. Following these studies, he completed a graduate diploma in animal biomechanical medicine and is a member of the Animal Biomechanical Professionals of Australia, the American Association of Traditional Chinese Veterinary Medicine and the American Canine Sports Medicine Association. He has completed a CIVT course in veterinary rehabilitation last year and is currently undertaking a CRI course in the same field due to be completed within the next 12 months. Steve now owns and works at Balanced Veterinary Care in Tambourine, Queensland, and combines conventional medicine, traditional Chinese veterinary medicine, animal biomechanical medicine, and rehab to apply a holistic, natural approach to improve his patients' well-being. Wow, that is quite the bio, Steve. Welcome to the Pure Animal podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure and we're talking about a topic that we haven't actually um, really gone into much on the Pure Animal podcast before, which is invertebral disc disease and we'd really love to hear about your approach to managing this really quite common condition um, seen in dogs and cats. Um, but before we get into the um, the sort of bulk of the conversation, I'd really love to hear a bit more about yourself and how you became a vet, um, where your interests sort of became and particularly your interest in natural therapies and biomechanical medicine. So I'd love to hear about a bit of your background. Sure. So I
1: suppose I've, I've got a sort of a different... Uh, lots of integrated vets get into it, I think, because they have probably had their own health issues, yeah, and they've pursued conventional me- medicine often. This isn't always the case, but yeah, you hear it commonly where they've gone down the track of they haven't been able, to, conventional medicine hasn't been able to help them out, and then they've found the integrated <laughs> therapies, and and then that's that sparked them to go and to go and study them in the veterinary field. and But for me, I've just sort of slowly, it's been a slow burn for me. It's, I slowly fell into it. I was looking for a new job as a vet and I found a job nearby, which is convenient really and it seemed like a good place. But the guy that uh, ran the clinic, he did uh, animal biomechanical medicine was his main thing. He'd studied other things as well, but I was employed as the conventional vet just to do surgery and medicine. So I was working there and then I was there for a few years and then uh, acupuncture course came up and me and uh, another vet, I thought, well, it's a helpful, it might be a helpful modality to use. So it really, I didn't really have any... Um, I was probably like most conventional vets. I think you just have a a paradigm that you go by: medicine and surgery, and so you don't really look outside that paradigm. And but for me, I, I don't know. I thought, oh, I'll see what it, what it's about, and uh, I completed that course. And then what sort of happens then is you, you you I think you you get a bit of a mind shift, yeah, and you start to think, oh, there's other things that might help, yeah, and then you start down the slippery dip were really trying to find other things that that may help your um might might help your patients and so yeah it started with um acupuncture and then i found within the same guys that offered acupuncture they offered chinese herbs so i i studied that and then i i went down the uh i waited for the abm the animal biomechanical medicine course to come up so i I studied that and then uh, I'm sort of going down the rehab route now. So you just, it's like everything, I suppose. And I've i have gotten more and more, I've start, and it's a slow transition. So I've had acupuncture and so you're using a little bit of acupuncture and mainly conventional medicine, and now it's starting to switch so that more of my patients are... I still use lots of conventional medicine, mm-hmm. but uh, there, I the, the ratio is switching, so I use more rehab and, and ABM and and acupuncture, and so I think that's yeah, that's how I sort of it was never intentional, and <laughs> I, I just, you just end up where you yeah. end up, and I suppose what happens is you become you you're offering those services. And so you're getting those patients and then you have to get better in that field. So that's sort of why I've gone in this direction. And I enjoy it too. It's a, it's a nice way to treat patients. Yeah, I it's a enjoy being a normal vet. Uh, I think like all vets, sometimes you become a little bit stale with just treating ear infections and skin and, and the same thing day yeah. in day out and using the same, just using Therapies. the same stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so... Yeah, there's, it is nice. To, it's refreshing, I think, to learn these new things. And the, the beauty of learning these new things is, I, as a convention when I was a conventional vet, you'd go to a conference and you learn some new surgical technique or some new, uh, new way of treating a medical case. But you couldn't apply it because either it was it was costly yeah. to the client, yep. or the client wouldn't want you to. You know, you you would really find someone. you'd it on, and so all that stuff you learned at that at that conference just to fall out of your brain and, yeah. and fall out of your mindset. Whereas the whereas the, the great thing with what I've been doing is I'm sort I'm working on my own now, so I, I do a house call practice mainly. I'm sort of heading towards the bricks and mortar at the moment, but the beauty has been you can direct you, you you know what you need to find out, and you know, and you can apply it, and the clients are happy for me to use it. So. As soon as I learn something, I can apply it. Whereas I, as mind. a conventional vet, it beca- it, yeah, it was frustrating sometimes because owners wouldn't want that expensive, you know, uh, surgical procedure, or they wouldn't want the, that uh, that that medicine. Yeah, and it's a lot more preventative. The beauty of this stuff is it's not very expensive to the client. Mm-hmm. There's no harm in yeah. trying. Often. So that's, yeah, I don't know if I've gone off track. or anything.
0: No, question, I but actually, you're absolutely right. And, um, and I think it's really worth having a discussion about because, you know, so, so often you go to these really expensive conferences and, and you're right and you come away with all of this amazing theory, but you might only yeah, have one opportunity in it, the year to apply it and then what yeah, use is yeah. it?
1: My, my, at the first job, at that job, I went to uh, the integrated practice where it sort of triggered it. He had he had lots of dogs coming to him with cruciate ruptures, and some would want surgery, some would want conservative management. But he had me he had me learning the TTO method, and I was an average surgeon; wasn't great, I wasn't I wasn't terrible. But it's a scary procedure. Yeah. But we just I learnt it, but we just learnt we you need to get the numbers to learn to
2: have yeah. the confidence
1: first to be able to do that stuff. Yeah. And so yeah, that's but yeah, the beauty of of this of the stuff I've learnt is I most of it there's been some there's been instances where it just hasn't the Chinese medicine Chinese herbs didn't really work out for me It yeah. just it was uh, I didn't I haven't really gone down that route but most of the other stuff I can apply all the time and I I learned it. some of the stuff I'll go and I'll go and watch an online lecture on this stuff and I can apply it the next day yeah. you know straight away to my, a lot of my patients so it's I've that's really great. enjoyed that aspect of it.
0: Yeah. yeah, really rewarding. And the more you're able to practice something, you know, the, the more you're learning from each of your cases as well and seeing that direct feedback from what you're doing and Yes, it, and then, yeah. I
1: mean that's all part of being whether you're an integrated or conventional vet, you don't know how anything's going to go till you try, you yeah. know, your first case of a cystitis or something as a conventional vet. You think, oh, because these antibiotics, I don't know if it's going to work. But then experience tells you, yes, it will likely work, or yes or no. This is this is a you know 10, 20 percent chance of working. So that's been yeah, and that's just it's a, a positive feedback because. Yeah, The definitely. better you get at it, the more patience you get. And then yeah. you get – it's just practice. Everything's just practice. Yeah. So um, oh, that's
0: – That's wonderful. Yeah, that, that's been helpful in that respect. I hear so many of our guests who have sort of moved away from a purely conventional approach and um, have either become what we call integrative practitioners or – they're really just practicing the alternative therapies on their own, and I do hear a common theme in that practitioner well-being tends to be improved in a lot of these cases. Yeah,
1: you do read that. Yeah, I think.
0: Yeah, which is and lovely. I think pr-
1: yeah, I, I, it is probably a combination of of the aspect of that of being able to use what you learn. Yeah. So there's job satisfaction in it, but also it's a, it's a different consult and it's a different bond with the client like right? yeah. so it's it's not in and out generally you you, you get, get to know and yeah. I, I suppose i've done house calls too so that's that's a double bunger you become you, the, people's defences are down when you're in their house yeah. and it's not like they're in the clinic so they it, they bond with you really well. Sometimes it's too much. <laughs> you like you like a barmaid. You know, you're in an an ear and they tell you everything. So you've got to you, you've got to screen that have and those rise boundaries up that a little sometimes. bit. Yeah. But, but it's definitely good for business, I think, because yeah. you're you're bonding to the client and uh, bonding to the pet, and and they become more loyal clients than the ones that just come in for a fifteen minute consult yeah. for an ear infection. Yeah. You know, any anyone can deal with that. You, you you develop niche skills and so they seek you out for those things and yeah. then they trust you for other stuff. Then they trust you to treat the ear infection
0: or yeah. whatever. So. That's wonderful. And I think that the patients at the end of the day are the ones who are probably benefiting the most from this sort of approach too because,
1: yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah. I, it, it, definitely for for me I, i'm yeah a better i mean everyone becomes better vets generally as they age <laughs> yeah. generally i suppose you'd hope yeah but yeah with, with these skills it, it does it does help but yeah,
0: and so um what are the sort of conditions that you mainly treat um and what cases are are you mainly sort of attracting in your business
1: so I suppose because of the yeah the track I've gone down, it's musculoskeletal stuff Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot of geriatrics. Yeah. So, um, and it's a matter of just um, trying to improve mobility and reduce pain with those guys, plateau them for as long as you can, yeah. and then they start to go downhill again. So, that's probably a fair chunk of my patients. I'm slowly getting, I've got, um, I'm getting a percentage of behavioural cases now. I've got. A training company that has aggressive, well, suspicious has dogs with aggression, and they just come to to me for a pain screening. So,
2: okay, interesting. uh,
1: So, yeah, that's uh, and I do. I don't get a lot of cancer patients, but because I'm on the internet as a holistic vet, people uh, they'll seek you out for palliative care for for cancer for cancer dogs when they don't want to go down the conventional route. So. Yeah, I think skin problems. We've got drug better drugs now to to manage uh, skin issues. So t- tend to be getting less skin uh, dogs over the last few years, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and do you um, are you missing those cases? or Are you happy to to not see them so much? No,
1: they are. They're tricky. Yeah, I'd, it <laughs> can be. Right <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Yeah, people become dermatologists because of the case that patients don't die and they keep coming back. So, yeah, yeah they're, <laughs> So it, they're, yeah. They're, they're they're tricky, and I think the hard thing about being well, it's 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 a fun part, but the tricky bit about being an integrated vet is you don't really have a mentor. So there's you can go on, you know, you can ask other vets questions, other integrated vets questions. We have forums and things for that. But it's different to being in a clinic where you've got a patient in, the, in your consult room and then you go out the back. So it's different from being con, a conventional vet where you can go out the back and say, oh, look, I've got this case, what do you think? Yeah. And then you can go back in and sort of deal with it straight away, whereas as an integrated vet, you, you're on your own to some extent more, more often than not and so it is that process of sort of um, trial and error to, with your techniques and your and your systems and so it's um it's that that's the bit it's sort of like being a new vet again, but without help sometimes. Yeah,
0: totally. So you, yeah.
1: You, yeah, so and you so so you've got to I wouldn't say fake it till you make it, but there is an aspect there's of a bit that. More trial and error. Even as a new vet. Yeah. There's an aspect of that. So you've you've got to You've got to try and apply what you think you know, but then sometimes it's not going to be right, and you've got to yeah. change directions, and you but just you just get better at it.
0: Yeah, I think that's completely part and parcel of the industry and the job and yeah, being as, human, as a, yes,
1: definitely. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, as an integrated vet, it's just if you're starting again in a way, yeah. and you again you don't have you don't have the old the, the, the yeah don't have the vet out the back to go and ask the question of. so.
2: Yeah. It's,
1: you, your experience as a vet, so that helps usually. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a new way
0: of doing things again. So just on that, do you have any um, groups that you're a member of, or do, like where do yeah. where would you go to discuss cases or to find uh, more information? So we've got
1: there's the ABPA Australian Australasian Biomechanical Practitioners. I think that's what it is. <laughs> um, there, uh, that we've got an online Facebook guy. Where we can ask those questions. There's yep. a natural vet group.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Vin that one. has they've got a rehab section on the that, on Vin, so yeah, there are places we can ask questions. Yep. So There's there's plenty of them, um, and the acupuncture one. If you do an acupuncture course, there's or Chinese medicine, herbal medicine. There's plenty of places you can ask questions, but. Yeah, nothing's better than having another vet.
0: Put yeah,
2: hands
1: definitely. On or, or have a chat too. It doesn't. It, it's not quite the same.
0: I yeah, think. I've I've never sort of thought about that. You know, being a solo practitioner. But you're absolutely right. Um, sometimes you might just have to say to to your um, to your client, "Oh, I'll just have to <laughs> get back to you this afternoon," rather than just within oh, the next five minutes. Yeah. yeah, which not, is completely that, fine. You
1: know, and and then yeah, and and because it's it's because the techniques and things are new to you you sort of unless you apply them you forget them yeah. so you've got to go and refresh and go and look on the textbook or yeah. or ask somebody and then you think oh that's right that, yeah. that's that's an that, that's an approach i can use and yeah. so and and i think most owners as long as you're honest with them yeah
0: they, they appreciate fine with that, that. They're,
1: they're, yeah that you know that i think that's is the key you can't that that they can read you
0: yeah, except, definitely. You know, yeah, I think they really yeah. appreciate that upfrontness and that honesty, and and also being part of I the care so. care well, team as well themselves, and you know coming with their own ideas. And a lot of people are re- very well researched themselves now when they're coming to see a practitioner. So,
1: yes, yeah, yeah. So you got to talk the talk. I've thought it's a new, especially say with um, uh, they are still, but there's there are owners. Uh, that do uh, that do agility and that sort of thing. So I do get a percentage of those guys.
0: Yeah,
1: and that's like you know, a culture on its own. Yeah. So yeah. You've got to be able to talk yeah, the lingo. You've got to be able to talk the talk. Yeah, um, and some of them, some of them are very well informed. Some of them are new and are bluffing their way through. Yeah. You can sort of pick it sometimes. <laughs> but um, and and that was me at the start. I, I you know, I had to I had to figure out the the language and the culture of yeah. Of agility dogs, and so it's yeah, and um, they're they're great clients. They're um, you've you can't, uh, you can't bluff your way through with those guys. No, so it's, um, but they're they're very loyal they clients too. And,
2: yeah,
1: and, and and the dogs are great to treat because they're well trained. Yeah, that's they generally right. don't squirm <laughs> if you're doing biomechanical medicine. That's really you can helpful. settle a lot of the dogs down with what you do. But some of them are Yeah. and they yeah, you chase them around the room. And, <laughs> but uh, most most of those agility dogs so well trained and and very good responsive, so yeah. they'll sit there and let you chew on, and oh, you can do, nice. and you can achieve a good treatment. So.
0: Yeah, so talking about treatment, so one of the conditions that you treat quite a lot is introvertible disc disease. Um, So take us through, uh, you know, what you would sort of typically look for in a case such as this and um, any diagnostics that you might do and then your approach to to management. I'd love to hear about that.
1: Yeah, so I suppose um, my assessment is probably the, you know, it's conventional history taking. Yep. Yeah. So you want to know you're looking at the breed because that'll determine if it's going to be often determine if it's going to be a type one or type two disc problem.
2: Yeah.
1: And then the acuity of the problem because if it's in the <laughs> no deep pain, then if it's a it's the if it's a new dog with uh, disc the, the disease and no deep pain, then there's an argument for the good argument for for surgery in yeah, that definitely. early time frame. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, if it's happened before, I suppose. So it's all those sort of things that you sort of do as a conventional vet, mm-hmm. but um, as a rehab vet, I think those questions become a little bit more important in terms of how you would adge- address your treatment. So as, as a regular vet, they're, they're important, but not don't have the same. We you, you will go in different directions. Yeah. As a rehab
0: vet. Yeah. Yeah. So do you typically do – sorry, do you typically um, order imaging, do imaging?
1: Uh, Because I'm a house call vet, uh, I don't. Yeah. So I think there is – if I was in the clinic, there's a good argument just to rule out the other nasties. So discospondylitis, all those – and, you know – uh, spinal tumor, not spinal, yeah. um, verte- vertebral tumors, the yep. nasties that could cause um The
2: same sort of symptoms. Cause, uh,
1: back pain. Yeah. But if, as a vet, you're playing the numbers all the time. So, more likely, if you, yeah, if the most common painful back disease is going to be disc disease. So, it don't always, yeah, I don't go down the and, yep. and it's probably the same you would treat as the regular vet. You'd, if you've got a dog with a sore back, you're not going to do X-rays
2: no, all definitely.
1: the time yeah. on the first time you see a dog. You know, as a conventional vet, it's rest and NZs and see what happens. Yeah. And then if it's not settling, so it's the same approach that I would take. If I'm if I'm not getting a response, if the dog's not doing what I want, then I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go for diagnostics after that sort of thing. Yeah, but, uh, that uh,
2: makes sense. X-rays
1: are really only a screen. You, to, to, that's the problem to get the get a good diagnosis. You need. Um, or MRI, CT, really. To, to MRI is really the gold standard to know if you've got... And that's an expensive test that my yes. don't want not to do. not easily
0: accessible. So you, you have yeah.
1: to rely on on your hands, on palpation skills often yeah. to see if you're first for diagnosis and then if you're getting improvement with treatment.
0: Which is very... Which, you know, touch is extremely powerful in in lots of different it, it, cases, it's but to something like this. I think it's
1: underrated as... As vets, Mm. and 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 it's underrated by clients. If they see an X ray, vets, um, and I suppose all the same, and maybe not a all vets are the same. But they see something in black and white, say it's a blood test, or they see an X ray, or they even a CT or an MRI. They they're helpful. They're a guide, but they're not. They're part of the diagnosis. Mm. So they don't give you a definitive answer. They give you a good clue. Yeah. But so do your hands. Yeah. Like, if you get develop good palpation skills, they're, they're as helpful as all those other things, I think, because you, you can't detect pain on any of those tests.
2: Yeah. You know, that's so that, right.
1: all of those tests tell you there's probably pathology there, but is that the main pathology? Is that what's causing the pain? So your hands are the only, you know, you, you can, uh, history taking um there's the pain screening tests the, the little um surveys that owners fill out and your yes. hands they they're the things that are going to be able to tell you if the dog's where they they're a big part of what te- what can tell you where the issue is and i reckon it's highly under i get it all mm. the time i i i'll 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 have a dog and i'll i'll palpate it and i'll say oh, i think it's sore here or this might be the issue they go and and then for some whatever reason the owner goes and gets an X ray done and the vet says oh here's a, there's a problem here it's got you know it's got arthritis hips yeah it might have arthritic hips but that's that's not where we're palpating pain so
2: yeah
1: they all those things are guides and yeah it, it's a slow it's a slow burn to sort of communicate that to owners I think and they, I've I've tried different ways of trying to communicate that I've got like a little I've got a bit of software now where i I'll, I'll push the I'll, I've got different parts of the dog the, like the parts of the spine and then the hips and muscles, and I'll say if and'll and I'll, uh, and I'll uh, document whether I think there's a, a mild moderate or severe problem on those things, and so I try and map them, yeah, and then right. I try and follow up with the owner next time and and map again and, yep. and say this is where the differences we're feeling so
0: yeah, so they can just see that visualization, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just because if you're saying oh, I'm feeling this, that doesn't mean squat to them. Yeah. So, and they and it's a degree of trust. They've got to trust you that you that that's what you're palpating.
2: Yeah,
1: definitely. But um, yeah. definitely the like the ABM course that's helped me the most with that stuff, and I'm still improving. There's people much better at palpation than me, but from being a conventional vet and a uh, palpating pain, I think, is what I'm better at now, just figuring out where, where the painful spots likely are. And it's still yeah. not an exact science like x-rays or anything. No, it's more of an Once art, Once again, it's really. just a guide.
2: Yeah.
1: And the, sometimes it's wrong, and but but it's just another helpful part of your diagnostic skill yeah, set to absolutely. try and figure out how to fix the dog.
0: Yeah. And so how do you fix the dog?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, if if it's an IVDD, I, I think the heavy lifters are always going to be rest and 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 drugs. You know, so I that they're the heavy lifters. I think of of my other skills. I, I think uh, manual therapies is is helpful, and so um, it, it it's not. Sometimes it's a bigger heavy lifter than than the drugs. Sometimes not. But you can you can address the the sore area directly, or the the likely disc. But you've got to be very mild in your treatments,
2: and use yeah. the grade
1: one mobilisations if that. And you, you've got to weigh up risks and things like that. But you can get pain relief directly in the area. But you can go to town in the other spots and go a bit harder on on in the compensatory areas. So. Away from the uh, away from the disc directly. so you might be helping hips, you might be helping neck. You, you, and, and my thoughts are if they can start to at least uh, move those areas better, mm-hmm. then then there's going to, then the area that's directly sore is is going to cop it less. and so that's hopefully going to speed up recovery as well. So yeah, for sure. I think I, I do use laser and I do use and that can sometimes have a quick effect. And I do use acupuncture, but if I was to pick three things, I think it's rest, cage crate rest for a couple of weeks at least, drugs, and 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 manual therapies. I think.
0: And the drugs you're using just for pain control in those sort of early yeah yeah, so of the weeks. typical ones,
1: non-steroidals and gabapentin. Yeah. I suppose that most yeah. vets would probably. And um, there's other things in the mix you can use, but they're probably the first two I'll, I'll reach for.
0: Yeah, sure. And then, do you have a plan on? how to, I guess, bring these animals back to normal function as much as possible after those first two weeks?
1: Yeah, so I, it's a matter of um, you after probably after, after a couple of weeks you can probably start some active stretching by the dogs mm-hmm. just to get a bit more movement in there slowly, slowly. And then after that it's um, probably the best evidence we have to say to prevent disc diseases in humans, and that's that's strengthening the core, so that um, yeah, we're protecting, right. protecting the disc. So that's I'd try and add in some strengthening exercises after that. So some simple yeah. Yeah, core strengthening exercises for the dogs. So most owners, yeah, they'll yeah, if you can convince them, it's a good idea. Yep.
0: It's like Pilates for dogs.
1: <laughs> Pretty much, it's yeah, yeah. that's what it is. That's I usually say yoga for dogs. Yeah, and
2: it's
1: yeah. it's nothing. It's nothing tricky, and it's yeah, it's such as, it, and a little bit can go a long way. So because a lot, yeah, a lot of these, well, yeah, a fair chunk of these dogs that have done discs are either overweight or have no core or both. So mm. it, and it's weight, so weight loss. That's the other thing that yeah. is the long term plan, and that's as all vets know that's hard to get owners to do that. But you've it's all psych, psychological trying to convince the owners to get weight off them, and I think. That that's always a slow burn. You have to communicate that with them. You have to get them to trust you, and then and then give them sort of strategies to get the dog to lose weight.
0: Yeah, that's right. And it's difficult for a dog that's just injured itself and probably yeah, isn't that's
1: right. That's really, feeling elderly, to exercise, so slow metabolism, yeah. all that stuff. So it's yeah. you're not going to get overnight success with that. But if you can get them slowly losing weight over 6, 12 months, then that's
0: yeah, you're going to get more benefit. And so, do you have um? Uh, like a long-term maintenance plan other than the weight loss and the core strengthening? Just, do, Is there exercises to avoid and things? Yeah.
1: Um, I, some of these guys are old. So I, some of the old fellas I'll have on a monthly, but they'll come and see me for uh, manual therapies or acupuncture. And yeah. I think we, we're, we can generally help with mobility, whether we're preventing disc disease, I don't know. But, uh, we can keep an eye on things too. I think that by doing that, so I can suggest, oh, look, he's getting a bit sore. Let's get him started back on some pain relief, or you know he's or he's gaining weight. so i if I can convince especially old dogs, if I can convince the owner to come in months at least once a month, I think i'm I think I'm helping their mobility and and prevention, but like, yeah. We don't have much data on that yet, and I suppose the other thing is whether they need long-term drugs. Mm-hmm. And so, if if they're on drugs, anti-inflammatories, then they're going to maintain more muscle. And mm-hmm. then, if they're main, and then if they're maintaining muscle and they're moving better, and when they're moving better, or you know, disc disease is probably less likely because they're getting more normal movement. And yeah, more muscle and, and maintaining strength because they're on because you've got them on good pain relief. So, and deciding for these guys whether they actually need drugs or whether you go to, or you may get away just with supplements. So some yeah. some of these guys, I'll, I'll you could you you could justify your position to put them on things like fish oil or PEA natural anti inflammatories or even. Yep you Know regular pentosan injections because some of these dogs have uh, facet joint disease, so that yeah. might be beneficial too. So, we yeah, like, sure. like I said, not much data um, clinically, I think they're better, but um, yeah, that's but you, you can justify your position doing that, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. And do you have any experience or are you open to using CBD in any of these cases? Uh, not
1: much, so I haven't had much experience. Um, I've only just I found a yeah, I've, I have plenty of owners that are interested. Yeah. Um, there's other integrated vets that are using it more than me. So no, I haven't had much experience with it, to be honest. And I've had, I suppose, because I've had other options for pain relief. So I, I'll use, I've used them. Pretty, they they'll usually get me out of trouble. Whether I'm using drugs or whether I'm using my my other modalities, then I haven't really had to go to CBD. So. And I've been, I've gone in and out of using PEA so um, yeah. for pain, and that works on the same pain pathway. It's probably yeah, CBDs and endocannabinoid better,
0: system
1: we don't we don't know, but um, PEA seems to be sometimes it's really helpful, sometimes it doesn't do squat. So
0: yeah, um, like with yeah. lots of things, just depends so on yeah, the individual. So yeah, in CBD, body. I've
1: only I've only just started looking at, at, at that as a possibility, of, and it's. Often when I can't use NSAIDs.
2: Yeah, so if, that's right.
1: Because you've got a dog with renal disease. I've got yep. one this week. We're trying to we look at giving them some options on top of that.
0: Yeah. It's,
1: it's got early stage kidney disease, so it's it's risky if you put them on NSAIDs.
0: Yeah, for sure. And are you seeing only dogs or do you see cats as well?
1: Yeah, cats. So, yeah, so I, I'll see cats with musculoskeletal issues. It's mainly the old uh, worn out ones I have forgot a... Yep. I've got a tripod that I see. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Three, just when I, I she had some issues when I first saw her she, after she got hit by the car. She had brachial plexus injury, so she has got four legs, but it's non-functional, and so yeah. it's mainly just trying to yeah maintain a movement and mobility with with manual therapies mainly, or do some acupuncture. up. But I do like treating kidney cats for kidney disease. And I take a – I don't quite use the conventional approach. For the one. I, it is a conventional approach but I, I use a lot of calcitriol and aluminium hydroxide for those guys and it, it, they do really quite well on that.
0: Oh, that's great. And in terms of nutrition, um, are you bringing that into your discussion of every case that you see as something that's really uh, It foundational? always depends on the
1: owner, I think. So – Probably, like I think, being a vet, you're you're not a salesman. Well, you are in a sense a salesman, but you're a salesman for the benefit of the pet. So you're always trying to figure out what the owner will use and how that will benefit the the cat or the dog. And so you have to you have to read the owner. And if mm-hmm. you if you've got a, a very conventional owner, I suppose it comes to you and. You know, and you mention uh, real food or or, um, or straying from dry food, or you, then then you're not going to get anywhere. So it's it's it always depends on the owner. And but a nutrition, it's always about always calories. So if they're feeding too much, I'll tell them to back off. or give them strategies yep. there. And then I think there has to be benefit in feeding some real food at least. So if yeah, I can definitely. bring that into the conversation, I always try To do that, yeah, but um, that's yeah, it, it that's where the salesman comes out in you, really.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it, yeah, I, I think most people hopefully would be open to at least incorporating a little bit into
1: most people into their diet, so, yeah, if I could, yeah, a lot. And it, I think to feed real food is challenging, you know, it, it's hard enough to feed ourselves sometimes, <laughs> so getting saying to people, you need to cook this much food, or you need to go to the you know, you go and buy this much raw food, keep it in your freezer, defrost it. Dry food is convenient. There's, there's you know, there's decent arguments for dry food. Um, I just think there's got to be benefits to feeding real food. It just has to be based yeah. on sort of first principles. But um, so, the, and if you've got a, you know, if you've got a 70 kilo dog, that, that's a lot of food to prepare for them. And yeah, so you've, you've got right. to be practical. So uh, that's what I think anyway. So I think I'd suggest to Compromise. those guys, you know, 80%, 90% dry if, if you want and then in, add in 10% stew and then we'll, we'll probably get some benefit from that. I don't know. No studies have told me but first
0: principles tell me maybe we will get some benefit from that. Yeah, absolutely. And so apart from um, obviously the possible cooking that people are doing for their, for their pets at home, and in an acute situation, if you are um, treating a condition such as IVDD, obviously, the, the pet parent's going to be quite involved. But do you find that um, sort of general compliance to your treatment plans for any case is an issue? And how do you sort of get around this and get pet parents yeah, really on board I, and part of the care team?
1: I suppose, you know, I went to a physio and chiropractor last year and I was pretty slack with my exercises afterwards. so. Life gets in the way, so you sort of got to be aware of that. And the rehab courses and the ABM course teach you, you've got to you've got to tailor your programs to your owner, so that you can't. It's not cookie cutter where you say every dog has to do this. And so you have to find out if you've got an old deer who can't she can't even bend over,
2: yeah, to you know do anything with
1: the dog, or if I, it, it varies so much. I've got a a dog that's just recently had uh, disc. Um, surgery and he's been down for about six, eight weeks and we, I think we're going to bring him back, I don't know, but he, he's improving every week. But this owner, he's got two young kids but he works from home and he's doing rehab like three times a day, ten minutes, three times oh, a day. Wow. <laughs> so like the best owner. Such and commitment. this dog wouldn't, wouldn't be where it was without him. But then you've got yeah people who've got busy lives and won't do anything for you. So um, first you have to be aware of what an owner Will likely do, and uh, and then I have sis I've got, I get the. I'll do the exercise in front of the owner on the dog, and I'll get them to record it on their phone. That's one way I've got yep. of them complying. That's good. And and then the other thing is, um, I have got uh, there's a uh, there's a few programs out there, but there's an exercise program, which uh, is really they're really helpful for rehab vets, and you can you can. Basically, put the owner's name and email in, and, and and it's got a whole. It's probably got 200, 250 exercises with videos on yeah. it, and you can compile it and send it to them. So that gives yeah. you another way for them to comply. And then yeah. you check back in, I suppose, and see how they're going. And and yeah, some. I think every owner does a bit. It's, it's human nature. They'll, they'll, do a, they'll do. Some owners are very dedicated, and and will do it uh, do it to a T, some owners are just uh, will do it, and then and then it falls off, and they don't do much. And that's probably I'm in that category. And then um, <laughs> occasional, very occasionally, you get owners that won't do anything. Um, yeah, and so they just it, want a quick fix. Yeah, yeah. So it, it you just got it. You have to it's like being a regular vet. You just have to figure out what type of client you've got and what what you expect to get out of them, sort of thing.
0: And um, in terms of your – we've been talking a little bit about acupuncture and about some of the other modalities that you use. Are you mainly using them on these sort of cases or do you have people that bring their pets in for acupuncture for other reasons as well, like sort of internal medicine reasons? Sometimes – I
1: mean, I was taught basically that acupuncture is better for musculoskeletal and less helpful for medical issues. So – and I think that's probably – that's the general public perception. There are there is plenty of points that can help with medical issues. Um, I'm trying to think. Acupuncture would be mainly people coming to you for, yeah, for musculoskeletal problems. Yeah. And sort of
0: in the short term only or have you got your, uh, you've got No, so, well,
1: I will use it. i use it in different ways, I suppose. I use traditional acupuncture where you're, you're treading away from the area often. And yeah. then if I've got a stubborn trigger point, I'll use trigger point therapy and um, trigger point, um, therapy and, and annoy the annoy the trigger point with an acupuncture needle directly. Um, yeah. So it, I'll I'll use it certainly for maintenance. A lot of yeah. It, it and it always depends if I can't move things with my hand, release things with my hands, then I'll I'll see how the needle goes or see how laser goes and and laser. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's a matter of trying. But yeah, there, I'm always, I generally always use my hands because most dogs, every dog will accept that. Whereas yeah. if you've got like a jumpy, sore cattle dog, you go and put a needle yeah. in them, they don't like it so much. Yeah. So you, have got, the hands, you can be more, um, you're responding as, whereas yeah. the needle, it's in and it hurts and the dog doesn't want to talk to you again. So,
2: yeah. especially
1: with, with the therapy, when you're trying when you're trying to help musculoskeletal problems, the dog's got to be relaxed. So if if you your first introduction, the dog's wired and excited and all anxious and sore, and you put a needle in it, that and that was sort of the frustrating thing with me when I first started it, because I learned to acupuncture first, so that was the only modality I had, and I was sticking needles in, and dogs are shaking needles out or you stick a needle um, yeah. in and it hurts and they, they won't come next to you, near you for the rest of the consultation. So I always use hands first and it's assessment and treatment sometimes at the same time and that yeah, tends definitely. to relax them. And yep. then sometimes I mightn't put needles in first time that I see them, but if they get to trust you and the dog's less sore, then that, that's, when I tend, that's how I operate. I tend to stick needles in maybe second or third visit. And yeah. um, see what I can get away with. But I, yeah, a lot and a lot of maintenance patients, I'll well, put needles in, I
0: suppose. Yeah. And do you have a large amount of maintenance patients or do you see yeah. them Mainly for a period and then they drop off? Yeah.
1: So yeah. yeah, so and and I think partly that's I think I help, you know, but you're seeing them once a month, so you have to question yeah. how much you're helping. So part of that is uh, I think some of them, it does. The treatment sticks. Some of them, it's it's more of the owners need reassurance and 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 discussion of quality life and that type of thing. Yeah. So, um, so, um, and and then and then yeah, a lot of my geriatrics, I'm, there, there's drugs in the background. So and we're so we're reassessing what drugs they need to be on every month. We need to increase, or if they're getting sick on the non-stress or whatever. So, yeah. yeah, so I do, yeah, a fair chunk of my work is maintenance. Um, I don't know, probably what percentage, maybe 20%, 10, 20%. Yeah, sure. I,
0: think, so. I mean, I think even just the fact that an elderly patient is coming to see their practitioner every month surely is going to bring them benefit because things can get yes. picked up so yeah, much more quickly yeah, yeah, yeah. and with, it's just with that our, regular check-in. I yeah, think that yeah.
1: Seeing a vet once a month is, yeah. you know, just a conventional it's vet. It's got to There's, be beneficial. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, and they're dedicated, you know, that they've got an old dog that, and they want to do the best by them. So that's, yeah, that's why you're seeing them once a month. Try yeah, and keep them
0: going. That's great. They're the sort of people you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're slowed.
1: great clients. And that, that <laughs> yeah. has been the, it's, um, as a vet, you, the best clients are the ones that uh, do what you ask. You know, it, because you yeah. get it's better for the pet, and it's and you get better results. And so yeah. um, it seems seems to be like a self fulfilling prophecy with this type of medicine. You're you're getting good clients that and 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 you get improvements because they're they're doing their homework. And and I, I, I get a I get a lot of owners doing massage. It's such a and then yeah,
2: they're right. doing that
1: every day. It's yeah. such a simple thing. But if someone yeah. gave me a massage for two or three minutes tw- once <laughs> a, twice a day. In my sore spots, my Feel trigger amazing. Point. Oh, man, that you'd be so, so much better. But, yeah, yeah, my partner won't do that for me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but
0: Can you train your I kids think to do you,
1: it? You're sending the owner home with a carer.
0: Yeah.
1: And if I, if I can find the sore spots and I'll say, this is where you need to massage, and it's really the owners freak out. They think, oh, I'm going to hurt him. I'll get up and walk away, so hurting them. <laughs> so
0: Yeah, uh, you'll know.
1: So, it's such a simple thing but, but I think it's it's so beneficial to the pet and so I suppose that's part of, you know, I, I feel better about seeing them once a month and checking those sore spots and then giving them homework to do.
0: Well, it's also so nice for their bond.
1: Yes, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, it's really yeah, that's nice. Right. They, um,
0: and yeah. for them to feel so involved in their care and to feel yeah,
1: like they're making a difference too. that's, I mean, of all the, the courses I've done, they sort of teach that they say if you can involve the owner yeah. Then it's just, and that's, I mean, our job's about uh, helping the human-animal bond. And so that's a big chunk of what, yeah, what can be done with MAFI It's
0: such a simple Yeah, definitely. Oh, lovely. Well, we're probably getting close to time now, Steve, and, um, and I'm sure you've got a busy day ahead. But if there, is there anything else that you feel like you wanted to share with us today before we say goodbye?
1: Uh, no, no, I think th- we've, we've covered the topic pretty good on that, Yeah. Yeah. Give, yeah pretty well unless you have anything else we'd like to discuss but I um, have enjoyed the chat I hope I didn't rant on too much
0: no it's been wonderful I, I like guests who rant on <laughs> because it's really <laughs> it's the, the, it's your show we, we're here to um, you know to celebrate what you're doing out there and, and how you're helping our beloved pets um, yeah, and it sounds sure. like you're doing um, wonderful work so um, we look forward to chatting to you again in the future um, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day
1: Okay, thanks for having me,
0: Sarah. This was the Pure Animal Podcast and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard. If you enjoyed our chat with Dr. Steve Denley today, please feel free to jump onto iTunes and give us a rating and review.